0: Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. So today I want to um, talk about, if you could put the slide up, how do churches grow? How do churches grow? There we go. And um, I want to just first of all say welcome, I want to look at that camera and say to Mike and Annette and to um, David and Ruth and to Roy and others who are part of our family but haven't been able to be with us. Uh, you're part of this, and we're so blessed to be together. And um, on this theme, I want us to sp- specifically just think about, how will we grow over the next few years? And how can we all play our part in that? Deborah and I and I have fact-checked this a few times, just to make sure I get this accurate Deborah and I began following Jesus. Uh, Over 35 years ago, I know, I was still in shorts, and uh, no, I'd actually just left uni, and uh, Deborah was starting a teaching degree, I was working in accounting, and we'd been dating about 18 months, give or take, and obviously I'd fallen in love with Deborah, that goes without saying, But, but together we both soon fell in love with the Word of God, and with the Spirit of God and with the church of God. We fell in love with the Word, and the Spirit, and the church. And um, and we both knew God had, as Paul says, God had, had laid hold of us. Uh, and really all we talked about for the, for the second half of our dating was the, the last three quarters, whatever it was, was kind of how we could be used by God, what we could do, how we could serve, where we could be involved. We got invited to by a friend of Deborah's at college to go to the Dales Bible Week. We'd never even heard of the Dales Bible Week, uh, but he gave us a cassette tape so that we are able to listen to some worship from a previous Dales Bible Week, and off we trogged. And following that, we joined a church in Leicester called Leicester Christian Fellowship where Brian Shutt and Ron Eagle, Andrew's father, were uh, amongst the elders. And um, I began to serve as a... a, um, a doorman, a greeter on the door, the stewarding team—we used to call it—and um, uh, then also I, I led the worship for, from time to time, and um, totally unmusical. Don't know how I did that. <laughs> and uh, Deborah and I led the the youth group, or as it was then, the 16s to 24s. It's quite a big range. Um, quite a qu- quite a few of whom are part of the church still. Uh, one of them was Chris Alton, and. Um, uh, it was brilliant. Uh, one of them was Alison Knapp, Richard Knapp, Richard Gamble, some of you will know those, those people. And, um, and then we moved to Narborough and we, uh, we started a, a group in our home, a house group, a life group, and, and we were so blessed that people began to be saved and added to that group. And um, in time, Kerry Jones and the elders in the time um, planted this group out. We became a we were planted out to establish a new church in the area. And um, I loved my job, by the way, I absolutely loved my job. But I quit my job in um, a long time ago, over 25 years ago, to fulfill the call of God that I believed was on my life. And Rock of Life Church um, continued to grow, and we merged with uh, Covenant Life Church in Hinkley. How fantastic that was. We relocated our meeting places a few times... Eventually, we established this base here, and we planted out into Coventry and Market Harborough, and then this is like a potted history, obviously, and um, then I met William in Kenya, well, I met William online, and um, he was in Kenya, and um, we began to work there and, and so many more things, and here we are today. And I'm so grateful for all the Lord has done, for what he's shown us, for who he's joined us with. Um, Man alive, we've made many mistakes, I can assure you. And we've had several challenges, uh, well, many challenges, and, and some disappointments. But above all, we've known great blessing, and the goodness of God, and lifelong friendships, and fruit, and fulfillment, and growth. And yet, I still feel we've only just started. Honestly. And, and over the years, um, as you observe things going on around about, as we've seen churches expand and decline, and people coming and going, and leaders rising and falling, sadly, at times, and trends that are in and then out, I've often pondered what is it that enables or causes churches to grow and succeed and thrive? Does it depend on brilliant strategy? If you've been around long enough, you know that can't be the case. Uh, Does it need a high-profile leadership? Does it need super-zealous members? What's really at the heart of a healthy and growing church. And I want to, before coming on to that in some detail, just to say, um, God loves growth. God loves growth. Multiplication is his idea, his plan, his purpose. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1.28, the original mandate to Adam was... To, in fact, just turn there, please. There's no scriptures on the screen behind me because I decided... Um, I didn't get them to Tim in time and B um, why should I pander to your laziness bring your Bibles and turn up the scriptures come on Genesis 128 do I hear an amen oh hallelujah Genesis 128 God blessed them God created man in his own image man man was the image bearer mankind men and women male and female God blessed them And God said to them, this is God's first words that we read about, God's first spoken words after he's created, his first words to man, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God loves growth. God loves multiplication. And we know, um, you know, at the end of Matthew's gospel, there's a great commission which kind of puts all of that into church terms, go and make disciples of all nations. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and I chose you to bear much fruit. It's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you don't have to turn to all of these, of course, but we'll come on to some specifically we're going to read together in a moment. In Acts 1, 8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses here, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, God loves growth, and God is the source of all growth. And if you could just um, put that verse up. this is in 1 Corinthians th- 3 it's a lovely little verse 1 Corinthians 3 I'll read the whole verse and obviously you've got your Bibles out now, you can turn there with me, 1 Corinthians 3 and Paul is talking about him and Apollos and the church in Corinth are, are comparing them and, and, and taking sides almost having their favourites and And Paul just simply says this. um, So what is Apollos? And what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed. And each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Or God made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But only God who makes things grow. I love that characteristic of God. Who is God? What does God do? He's the one who makes things grow. And in this time we're in, this post-pandemic, global, national, local, shaking, uncertainty, fears, anxieties, many are seeking and finding and connecting and joining It is what Jesus would call harvest time. And we must be ready and therefore understand how and why and and where and when God makes things grow. How does it happen? And and I'm I'm really convinced that um, growth in the church, daily growth, daily addition is normal, is to be expected and our task is, is not so much about creating growth. God makes things grow. Our task is is simply removing all the hindrances, taking all the obstacles away, positioning ourselves, getting ready so that we are ready for all that God wants to do. So I want us to look at some principles. That's quite a long intro. Um, I'm not talking about techniques or methods or strategies. And as the word of God came this morning, let the spirit of God just minister to you, encourage you, reassure you, inspire you, stir you this morning. And, and as Brenda described, my feet wouldn't stand still. May it be that as, as we look at the word together, our, our legs won't be able to sort of stay in a sitting position for too long. So what are the contexts? What are the conditions? What are the causes of growth? And in light of that, what kind of church must we build together? The first thing I want to say um, is that one of the ways churches grow is that there is harmony from and at the head. Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Fantastic psalm. We know it well. It says how good and pleasant it is when brothers can live together, can dwell together together. or or when brothers are in harmony now listen to this it's like fine oil on the head running down on the beard running down Aaron's beard on his robes it's like like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion for there the Lord has appointed the blessing remember what we read in Genesis 1.28 the Lord blessed them and said multiply the Lord blessed them and said grow When God appoints blessing, it's it's for growth, it's for expansion, it's for enlargement. And here it says when brothers can live together, when brothers do live together, dwell together in harmony, in unity, there the Lord commands blessing. And it starts at the head, and in, in the church, therefore, it starts with the elders. It starts with... With, with the leaders in the church, it starts at the head, but it must flow into the body. And God wants harmony and unity. And if we will, um, if we will preserve those things, work hard to um, ensure those things, are, those things are maintained, we will see tremendous blessing in our church. Contrast. James says, where there is... Um, Selfish ambition and envy—everything's disorderly. Contrast, Paul says, when you come around the Lord's table and there are divisions amongst you, well, things do not go well. He even says there's sickness because of those things, and people have died in the body because of those things. So it's a—it's a—a a powerful truth we've got to get hold of. Our unity, our harmony, has a, has massive implications. It really does. And, and I think unity amongst leaders, harmony amongst those responsible for, for providing some headship in the church is way more powerful than we realize and sadly is not as common as we'd like. But it attracts the blessing of God. And hence Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I just want to say to us, church, and this is not to be heavy at all, but we must make sure we deal with all the little foxes. All the little foxes. That Song, Song of Solomon says that spoil the vine. Kill the fruit. Little foxes. Little dis- disagreements, little disturbances. Anything that would um, that would spoil the vine. We, we mustn't take offense at one another. We mustn't let things fester. We must go and see our brother or sister put things right. We must cultivate respect and grace and patience, all the fruit of the spirit that Richard read out for us. And if I could say this, especially as we become more diverse. This really matters. We mustn't let any little foxes. We've spent years building something where unity and harmony have been highly valued. And I just want to say this, I know my actions affect others, and so do yours, and I have no right to get in the way of the blessing of God, and nor do you. I have no right to hinder what God wants to do amongst us. I have a responsibility, and it's not an option. It's, not a, it's, it's kind of not even, a, it is a choice, but, but it shouldn't be a choice. I must just instinctively want to keep things right. So there's there's nobody I'm out of sorts with, and I I, I want to say that should be the the attitude of all of us. There's nobody we're out of. There's nothing festering. There's nothing. There's nothing nibbling away at the root of the vine and just likely to cause a problem amongst us. We have to build a church where unity is paramount, and if we will stay in harmony. And by the way, there's no big deals, no big issues in my mind at all. I don't want to worry anybody. It's not like the rumor mill is working or anything like that. I just do feel to say we need to be on our guard. God wants to do great things amongst us. I don't want to be one of the, I don't want to be part of the obstacle to that, the hurdle to that. So the second thing that um, is is how churches grow is when we are stewards of small things. And this is a wonderful principle in uh, Matthew's gospel. In uh, in verse twenty five, Matthew chapter twenty five, verse fourteen. Um, also in Luke nineteen, a similar story. But these are the parables of the talents. And in Matthew twenty five, Matthew twenty five, uh, you read this. If I can find the right verse, the um, story starts at verse fourteen. And uh, it's about a man that goes away on a journey and he, he gives talents to each of his servants and um, some of them invest them and produce more and others, uh, one, of, one of them buries his because he's afraid of his master. And when the master comes back, he says this, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, verse 21, you've been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. And here we have... Such a simple principle. If we're faithful with small things, he gives us more. Yes. If we're good stewards of small things, he will entrust us with, with more things, with larger things. And um, so I just want you to have a think about what you've been entrusted with. Your your gifts, your talents, your time, tasks and responsibilities in the church and out of the church your family your friends take stock and you don't have to do all this right now but, but take stock say Lord thank you for what you've entrusted me with my, my life group with eight people in it I'm just going to be really faithful with the eight uh, and, and the word of God is he'll give you eight more your, your, um, your burdens, if you faithfully steward them, if I could say this, um, they will grow into gifts. Your gifts, if you faithfully steward them, will grow into a ministry. Your life group can grow into a, a little house church. Your house church can grow into a larger church. A larger church can, can grow into a family of churches. As we're faithful with small things... And as we build a church where faithfulness in small things really matters, God will always make things grow. No strategy involved. No great technique. Just being faithful. How many of us could do that? Yeah, be faithful with what we've got. Be good stewards of what we've got. And then, um, and then another thing, and it's kind of a, it's an aspect of this particularly, is faithfulness in material things. Luke 16, odd parable, brilliant point. Luke 16, verse 11, Jesus concludes his odd parable by saying, if you've not been faithful with unrighteous money or with worldly wealth or mammon or you might have something similar, who will trust you with what is genuine or with true riches. Now, you've heard us talk about this many times. But honestly, this is simple. It's sobering. It's sensational. The way we handle our money, worldly wealth, will determine whether or not we're entrusted with what Jesus calls true riches. Um, I... I define those. I think he's talking about um, two things in particular. Revelation, which is so precious, and people, so precious. And, and, and it kind of makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If, we, if we're not good with handling something that's valuable but not that valuable, why, would, why should he entrust us with something that's really, really valuable? And so God has this kind of this window into our lives and watches as a church and as individuals how we handle our money and, so, and, and kind of makes a, evaluates whether, he, whether we're suitable to be trusted with true riches I mean this is incredible this is so simple and it's, it's totally biblical by the way I didn't make this up but our financial stewardship will determine the growth of the church It makes sense as a fatherly, motherly, parental principle. And and therefore, it's no coincidence, if you now turn with me into Acts, where we're going to look at the next few points, it's no coincidence that when we read about that first church in Acts chapter 2, we'll read the whole passage in, in just a moment, but they ensured that the needs of the church, of the people, were met. They handled their money really well, and God added to them And so I just want to challenge us, encourage us, stir us, sharpen us this morning that personally and corporately, where God sees that we care, that we invest well, that we're faithful with our tithes, generous, where where there's an absence of greed and materialism in our lives, where we're open-handed, he knows he's found people that will handle every precious thing that way. We want to build a church where stewardship really matters because if we're faithful in handling money, God will make all the other things grow. Okay, hands up if you're with me so far and believe that simple, sober, sensational truth. Okay, Acts chapter 2. Let's read this because, because the next thing, I just want to call it this. It's an odd little title. I want to call it a healthy balance. Things grow when there's a healthy balance. And look at the health and the balance in this passage. We'll read it, Acts two forty-one. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. That's growth. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers, And then fear came over everyone and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. That's what I was just referring to. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness And simplicity of heart Praising God And having favour with all the people And every day The Lord added to them Those who were being saved It's it's a fact That the Holy Spirit Has ensured that we have on, On permanent record The key characteristics Of a church That grew every day Thank you, Lord, for showing us and giving us this. And here we see people born again and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Here we see people devoted to apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. Here we have a church that met in the temple courts, in the courtyards, and in their houses. Here we have a church where there is both fear and reverence and also signs and wonders. Here we have a church where money's given and needs are met. Here we have a church who who enjoyed ate their meals with gladness and simplicity and who praised God and had favour with people. This is a church where everywhere we look we see order, we see balance, we see health. This is not a word church or a spirit church. It's a word and spirit church. This is not a a pastoral church or a missional church. It's a pastoral and missional church. This is not a, a big gatherings church or a house gatherings church. This is a church that met in both places. And we don't see in this church extremes, we don't see abuses of boundaries. We don't read about a letting go of sound doctrine to pursue experiences. We see a church balanced, healthy, from side to side, from top to bottom, and healthy things grow. And the Lord added daily. And by the way, when you when you when you get to Acts 16, some 20 years later, the Lord is still adding daily. Acts 16, verse 5. It's the New Testament norm. Churches really suffer if they become unbalanced, if they lurch from one thing to another thing. And I pray we will never do that. We will never lose focus. We will never pursue trends. We want to build a church which will stay biblical and balanced because if we keep things healthy, God will make things grow. Amen. Move on with me to Acts chapter 6. Everybody okay? Acts 6. I'm going to read the first seven verses and look at the mentions of increase, growth. In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying, God loves growth, God's commissioned us to multiply. Here's a church. in in the flow of the commission, multiplying. In those days, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, or increasing, yours might say, but this is a better word, multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Here is a time of great growth, but a practical problem has arisen. And, And it's basically based on the large numbers they, they cannot cope practically with distributing food amongst all the widows uh, and and therefore there's some there's some grumbling there's some complaining the harmony is threatened the unity is threatened and it goes on to say this so verse 2 then the 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables presumably prior to that they'd been doing all of that themselves therefore brothers select from among you seven men of good reputation full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint whom we can appoint to this duty we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry and the proposal pleased the whole company so they chose stephen a man full of faith in the holy spirit and philip Procorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte from Antioch. And they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the preaching about God flourished. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. It's a problem caused by multiplication. There's the wisdom of God comes in. There's a, there's a, a, a rearranging of the priorities... And um, if you could put this one up, I'm calling this Total Teamwork. There's a rearranging of, of, of responsibilities and priorities, uh, and we will devote ourselves to this, you give yourselves to this. Everybody's happy, but hey, presto, the multiplication now gets even bigger. It's a fantastic story, and there's so much in it. This, is, this, is, this deserves another sermon, really. There are so many takeaways, but, but let me just simply say this. Growth requires flexibility. And leadership must be God's pattern. Here it's the deacons. Later on in chapter 11, it will be the elders are appointed. And it's impossible for one-man ministry to accommodate the kind of growth God has in mind. What a ridiculous thought that that would ever be possible. But it's equally impossible for us to grow as God intends if the load is ever carried by a relatively few people. God has designed and arranged and placed and ordered his body so that everybody has a part to play. You've heard this so many times. We need you. We must let the body be the body. All the parts of the body, finding their place, playing their parts, because the church cannot grow unless the latent power and potential is released. I don't think I've ever used the word latent in a message before. There you go, it's out there, latent. Just want to say, as we grow, as we continue to grow, many more ministries will be needed. Listen listen carefully to what I'm saying now and really take this to heart. More elders will be needed. More deacons will be needed. More life group leaders, house church leaders will be needed. More kids workers are needed now volunteers are needed across all aspects of our life and our mission our present teams will never cope with all the growth that god has in mind for us our present teams will never cope with all that god has in mind for us but we do have all we need we do have all we need it might be latent it might be under the soil still it might be in bud form, but it's there. We have all that we need. There is space and opportunity for everyone to step up and give and contribute and serve. This, friends, is a battleship, not a cruise liner. And if you've, if you've come for a cruise, put your towel away, put your overalls on, and let's, let's join the... We had, a, we had a prophetic word earlier on, didn't we? Battle cry. It's okay to it's okay to come and find your place, you know, for a while, but, but we want you stuck in. Manning manning the guns or, or on the deck or doing whatever you, you people do on battleships. Perhaps um, some of our military experts can help me here. Um, listen, I also think there's a principle, as we as we expand the teams, God gives the growth. There's something about showing our readiness, showing our preparedness. It's great to have a talented and anointed staff team here. But the church works with a massive team of volunteers. Our small staff team are not here to do all the work. How ridiculous. What what an insult to the body, if that's what we believed. We need big teams. We need wide teams. And therefore, I just want to say, for some people, even this morning, it might be might be a time to just say, I'm going to step up. I'm going to lay hold of that for which he's laid hold of me. Take my calling seriously. We'd love to hear from you because we're building a church where everyone matters. And if we embrace teamwork, God will make things grow. Amen. Amen. The next thing, Acts 9. Acts 9. Um, verse 31. It's just a little verse. Um, every so often when you read the book of Acts, the author Luke kind of pauses in certain points and makes a statement. There's a bit of a summary of what's going on in the moment. And this is his summary at this point. He says, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace because they'd had a time of persecution, but now they have a time of peace. And being built up, And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. It's a time of growth. And and Luke gives us another two really important characteristics of this growing, multiplying, expanding church. Number one, they walked in the fear of the Lord. He doesn't mean they were afraid of God. The word literally means respect, respect. Reverence, honouring him. He's almighty, he's holy, he's our heavenly father. He's not our buddy. Uh, in fact, in Acts 5.11, um, the, uh, the little story at the end of, of the situation with um, Ananias and Sapphira, it says, then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. In the message, it, it simply says this. They realised that God was not to be trifled with. Yes. Right. Hello. They walked in the fear of the Lord, and and they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that every so often on a Sunday somebody said, Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you to join our meeting. We don't invite the Holy Spirit to join our meetings. He's at the heart of it all. He's at the center of it all. He invites us to come on board with what he's doing. And so they lived in the fear of the Lord and and in the encouragement of the Spirit. He was conducting it. He was involved at the heart of every aspect of the life and mission. He's the mighty evangelist. He was empowering them to continue the works of Jesus. And in the message translation, Acts 9.31 reads like this. You'll like this. It says, Things calmed down after that, and the church had smooth sailing for a while. And all over the country... Judea, Samaria, Galilee, the church grew. They were permeated, and, and let's, let this be our prayer as you hear these words. They were permeated with a deep sense of reverence for God. The Holy Spirit was with them, strengthening them, and they prospered wonderfully. Amen. I pray that that picture of that church in which God is revered and honoured, and, and and in which the Holy Spirit is not quenched or grieved, and into that environment God was just loved to add people into it. May the same be true of us. We'd honour him, we'd respect him, we'd revere him. Let's be a church characterized by warmth and friendliness and informality, but with a deep respect for God and the joy of knowing his spirit. Amen. Then, um, nearly nearly getting towards the the last couple of points here, Acts 7, Uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, Acts um, 11, church grows next by the the pioneering of a few, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by this. This is Acts 11, and if we read from verse 19. Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some of them. But there were some of them. Cypriot and Cyrenian men who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists Proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Um, And we'll just read the next couple of verses. And the report about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged all of them to Uh, Remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of heart, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. This marks a a big shift in the Acts story when Antioch becomes the new base for mission. And, And here we read of breakthrough growth because some of them dared to go further than others. They were pioneers. They knew God was with them as they crossed borders and boundaries and went into some new places. And what they did there and what they did in going to Antioch sets the scene for what will happen a couple of chapters later where Paul and Barnabas are sent out on that first apostolic trip and they go through Galatia and many, many churches are birthed. This place, Antioch, becomes so crucial to the advance of the gospel and I just believe God loves this. God loves this. And his grace is all over it. Because some of them went a bit further than others. And, and I just want to do a kind of sweep of the room. And say I'm so excited that some of you. And it's nothing to say anything about the rest of, the rest of us. But some of us, it will be the call of God just to go a bit further to be pioneers, to go to new places. Maybe you already have places in your heart. I'd love to see something established there. I'd love to take... This is, this is how the church in Kenya has grown. I'd love to take a version of this back to my place. That's right. yeah. And a new congregation is formed. Yeah. Maybe there are places in your heart and, and God is stirring a place to you or, or you've heard us talk about certain other places... And, and God stirs your heart, and there's within you there's, there's something of a, of a move, of a, of a desire to go a little bit beyond. It's what's right for you. Some of them went a little bit further, in this case in distance, in this case culturally, in this case into other, other sort of ethnicities. But God loved it, the grace of God was all over it, and large numbers came to the Lord. I just want to say it's time to release people who are going to pioneer. And we must build a church where new places are always on our radar. We had some visitors with us the other week and and the lady said, are you always thinking of new places to go to? I said, always. Always thinking of new places to go to. But people have to go. So I just want to stir that pot a little bit Add a little bit of discomfort into the mix, a bit of, bit of urge, and let God um, speak and, and, and just begin to bring great confidence into our hearts with that. This is my penultimate point. Um, churches grow because of the equipping of evangelists, and um, if we turn to Ephesians now, we're going to finish in Ephesians, the last couple of verses. Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Because um, we know all these gifts of Christ, all these gifts of the ascended Lord Jesus, all these gifts, these ministries, these people that he wants to give his church are to to build up the body, to create growth. Ephesians 4.11 says, He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith. And you know the verse as well. The church needs all the gifts that Jesus wants to give us, but the gift of the evangelist is a gift that will always reproduce itself. Uh, an evangelist will, um, uh, will, will reach the lost, will, will reap a harvest, and will equip the church to do the same. And so we're really grateful for Anna, for Jonathan, and for other evangelists amongst us as well. Their ministry stirs up missionary zeal, but it's not the panacea. Inviting them to spend a week with us does not fulfill our mission. It's a great help, and they play their part so that we can play ours. And we want to build a church where all the gifts are given space. And if we make space for evangelists, God will make things grow. But the other half of the verse, the other half of the truth is in verse 16. If you would put the last little slide up. It's not just the pioneering of a few. The equipping of the evangelists. It's the mobilization of the many. And in Ephesians 4.16 it says, From him... The whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. In the New Living Translation, it just says this. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, and as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love I think that's one of the most important verses in the New Testament the whole body how many of us want to be part of a church where we could say the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love Amen the whole body grows only as each part does its work and and it's therefore vital I have put the Isaiah Isaiah reference up there where Isaiah is, is challenged and the Lord says who will go who can we send and Isaiah stands up and he's, he's like he's one man all alone saying, here I am. You can imagine the echo, can't you? Here I am, here I am, here I am, here I am. Send me, send me, send me, send me. But God wants the whole church to stand up and say, here we are. Send us. And um, as well as the unity and the harmony and the faithfulness and the healthy balance, the teamwork, the reverence, the respect, growth happens in the most expansive and most sustainable way when we're all playing our part in the mission. Amen. This is the mobilization of many. This is a whole church moving outwards. And when that happens, when the whole church is moving outwards, things shift in heavenly realms. Because the body of Christ is alive and rising and on the move to confront evil, to challenge injustice, and to establish the kingdom of God. And and my prayer is that we'll see that, that we'll demonstrate that, that we will express that amongst ourselves. I want to finish by saying, I think this kind of whole church movement, it's just such an exciting thought. The whole church, on the move, Not just the pioneers, not just one or two evangelists, but the whole church arising and saying, here I am, send me. I want to say that I think that kind of whole church movement is not the result of a sense of duty. Or even an act of obedience. I think movement happens because of compassion. And if I could turn you finally to... My go-to verse, I said to Rich on the phone last night, I'm going to just preach the same stuff I always preach. He said, well, everybody has one message. I said, yeah, but I've like got half a message. Still waiting for the other half. It says, Jesus went, Matthew 9:35." Jesus went into all the towns and villages. Let God speak to us in these verses, friends. Jesus went into all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he this version says he felt compassion. The older versions say he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without shepherds. And he said to his disciples... The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That verse is a summary at the end of a chapter. And I, I would just ask, if, if there's any homework from today, it's read Matthew 9. At the end of a chapter where Jesus has met and ministered to, the paralysed, the tax collectors, a father who believes but also thinks he's bereaved because his little girl has died, a woman who's been losing her blood for 12 years, life draining out of her, the girl who, who the father thinks is dead, and some blind men and some men demon-possessed and in bondage. And Jesus has been all through... This And when you read the chapter, it's like it all happens in one day. The way way Matthew's described it. It's It's like all this takes place in one day. This is a day in the life of Jesus. But it's also all of life in a day of Jesus. And Jesus ministers to these people. He says that he sees the chaos, he sees the confusion... He sees the insecurity and the anxiety and the sickness. And he concludes they're like sheep without a shepherd. Here here are vast crowds with vast needs. And here is a vast harvest. And if I could just say this to link it with our theme for the year. When you read that chapter, you find multitudes of people expressing faith and hope. As best they can, the woman says, I I must just touch his garment. The man says, if you you will go, she'll be well. The blind men say, "Uh, Lord, if you're willing. Here are people expressing faith and hope as best they can and find they're met with the overwhelming, non-judgmental, sin-forgiving, health-restoring love of Jesus. Have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Have courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. It's a picture of the towns and villages, the world on our doorstep, and an urgent call for workers. Church, let's be willing and generous and liberal. Let's build a church with the capacity to respond to the vast needs of our day because I honestly believe when, when the whole church is moved and mobilized, oh my word, God will make things grow. I'm so thankful that our church has known growth over the years, steady growth. I'm so grateful we're still growing. But we have only just started, and there's so much more, and there's space amongst us here. Have a little look around the room. There's space amongst us here for hundreds more in this room, and in Harborough, and in Atherstone. And if we rearrange things a little bit, there's space for thousands more. We're not short of space. We're poised. We're poised. This is a moment in history where needs around us have probably never been felt with such, um, such keenness by people. This is a moment. Church, we've got to understand how churches grow. We've got to give ourselves to these things. We're poised. God is with us and He's enabling us And he's urging us to keep growing even more. And you and I have a part in it. We must maintain unity. We must be faithful with what we've presently been entrusted with. We must look after money well. We've got to stay balanced and healthy. We've got to serve and join teams. We've got to honour God and we've got to depend upon the Holy Spirit. We need those with a pioneering spirit to say, here I am, send me a long way or a short way, but send me somewhere new. We need to be praying for the ministry of evangelists amongst us. And we need to be moved and going forward together into the harvest. Field. I just want to say, let's give it all we've got. And let's remove every obstacle, every hindrance, so that we're ready in this time of God's outpouring. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.